Welcome to the Profitable Public Speaking Podcast. I am your host, Mark Berry, CEO and founder of the Content Marketing Plaza, bringing you two new episodes each week where I and top-level guests teach you how to get on more stages and make a profit from your public speaking. And one of the more underrated ways to get on more stages is to use an underrated platform, which is podcasting. While you hear about millions of blogs being created every day, some ridiculous number like that, there are less than a million podcasts currently. So podcasting is such a great way to build your platform, but it's also a great way to get more speaking gigs. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Today's guest who joins us today, he is an advisor to executives, a speaker, and content creator. After a successful career in sales and marketing, he became a growth leadership speaker in 2009. He is known as the conference catalyst as he creates an atmosphere of fun and interaction that lasts beyond his presentation. He is the author of 12 books and hosts the popular Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. And on that show, he has interviewed over 400 entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, and others with a focus on discovering how the most successful people get further across the gap between potential and results. Today's guest for episode four of the Profitable Public Speaking Podcast is none other than Tom Singer. Tom, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Mark, it's great to be here, and I am a huge fan of alliteration, so I love all the Ps. Tom, I'm happy to have you on the show, and I feel like this is such a valuable topic because I don't feel like it's getting as much coverage how you can use podcasting to get on more stages. So uh, before we talk about that, I'm wondering if you could talk about some background and what really attracted you to public speaking. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a convoluted sort of long story, so I'll give you the short version, and that is when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor. And I never did anything about it. I wanted to be an actor or a comedian, and I I never had the guts to try it. I mean, I did theater in high school, but I never did anything with it. And when I went to college, my parents thought majoring in drama was a really bad idea. And so I majored in political science. I thought I'd become a lawyer. My grades weren't that great, so I never went to law school. And life just sort of took me down a path. And then you're, you know, all of a sudden you're married and you have a couple kids. You know, you can't tell your wife, hey, we're, Uh, we're selling everything and moving to Hollywood and I'm going to try and be an actor. So then you don't do that. Uh, The saddest part of that whole story is I grew up in Los Angeles and I just never did anything with it. So part of the story is, is I think being a speaker, I think it fills in sort of that gap inside me. Uh, I like being on stage. I like talking to people. I like having that, that ability uh, to entertain and influence people. And then the other side of it was, is I was in sales and marketing and I became the marketing director for a big law firm. And the managing partner asked me to create a class for the lawyers on on how to network and how to do business development, basically how to get engaged in the community. And I really thought, oh my God, they're going to hate this. And I was worried that they were all going to kind of be like, you know, boo, this was dumb. And at the end of the talk, it was like a 90 minute talk on like business relationships one of the partners raised his hand and said, this is the best training I've ever been to in 15 years as a lawyer for non-legal skills, for like business skills. He goes, you got to do this every quarter for all the lawyers. And I started traveling the firm, teaching lawyers how to do sales. And that's how it sort of happened. And it's really interesting how at one point, Tom, 
doubted himself and then he went out and gave this value and people were like, wow, we really love this stuff. So if you're listening to this or watching the video and you're thinking, wow, what kind of qualifications do I have as a public speaker? Just give it a try. Just go out there and share value. And then just like Tom, you could be really surprised with the response you get and that can literally turn into an entire career. Yeah. So I, I was training the lawyers and then I went to work for a bank. And part of my job as the marketing director was to teach the bankers how to engage. And I was doing seminars and the bankers and lawyers started giving me to their clients when their clients would have like an all hands team meeting. And they were like, oh my God, you should have, you know, our, our marketing person come in and teach this class. So I started doing it for tech companies and for other, other organizations around Austin and beyond. And all of a sudden people like CEO of a company came up to me and said, I don't understand why you did this. And I was like, well, your banker gave, you know, you to me. And he goes, no, no, I don't understand why you work for the bank. Why don't you just do this? You're really good. And I literally remember saying, yeah, I don't think you can do that unless you're famous. I think, I don't think it's a thing for someone like me. And the guy said, yeah, well, my ex-brother-in-law used to belong to an organization called the National Speakers Association. And he wasn't famous. He didn't have, you know, a New York Times bestseller. He goes, why don't you check that out? I think it's a real thing. And so I looked in, I don't know, about 12 or 13 years ago, I looked into the National Speakers Association and I started meeting people who were making their living speaking. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, maybe I could do this. So then 10 years ago, I did it full time and I've never looked back. Now, I know the National Speaker Association, they give their members a lot of different events they go to. It's also paid would you consider that a worthy investment? Is that the path you took? So I will tell you, nothing is right for everybody. But if you're asking me, and I've been making my only living, I mean, I don't do a lot of coaching. I don't do a lot of uh, consulting. I, I most, almost all my income comes from, I get on a stage, I speak, and they give me a check. And I never could have done this business if I hadn't not only joined, but gotten really active in, in the National Speakers Association 10 years ago when I went full-time in the business, I was broke. It was the recession. I had gotten laid off. There was no income. And I told my wife, I'm going to this. And, and by the time you add in what it costs to go and the airfare and the lodging, and I didn't know anybody, so I couldn't even share a room with anyone, mm. it probably cost me two grand. And I said, I'm just going to do it. And that was the beginning. I met, it wasn't so much what I, I mean, it was what I learned because they have some really great uh, knowledge that you can learn from going to the breakout sessions and watching the keynoters. But I met people who were my age, you know, I was 40 something, who had been doing this for three or four years. I, I didn't stalk the celebrities. I got around people who were working as speakers and getting checks every single week. And they weren't famous and they weren't getting giant checks. And I, I just sort of befriended them. And I, I remember meeting this one guy at the first conference I went to. And I don't know, he's six or seven years younger than I am, but he'd grown up in the business. His dad was a professional speaker. He married a woman whose mom was the manager of a speaker. So the two of them had grown up in the business. And we hung out at the bar one night at the conference and we talked about the business and what I wanted to do. And the funny thing is now he's one of my best friends. But the funny part of the story is when they got back to their hotel room that night, his wife said, wow, that guy was really cool. It's too bad we'll never see him again because so many people go one time and they're like, oh, it was too expensive. I didn't get any business, right. anything out of it. But then I kept going. I kept showing up for two and three and four years. And some of the best friends who like help me on a weekly basis and refer me business are people I met through now 10 years of involvement. So while there are some speakers who will tell you, ah, it's not worth it, right. usually they're famous or they have something else going for them that I didn't have. Uh, or they didn't 
make friends when they got there. I, I, I never would have survived in this business if it hadn't been for the people I met at NSA. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard both sides of that. So I was definitely really eager to get your opinion because I've seen how well you've done as a public speaker. So Yeah, and what, what I ask people who give the other side of it, and I'll tell you what, I am a huge believer. My opinion is not right. My opinion is my opinion. My experience is right. My experience is my experience. But look really closely at the people who diss the National Speakers Association and check to see if they're selling you something. Because so many people that I see dissing it have a course for speakers. Right. Like, well, isn't that funny that they don't want you spending your money over there and making friends with people at your own level. I'm a real big believer that uh, if you meet people at your own level and grow up with them in this business, you are much better off than if you try to stalk the celebrities or think there's a shortcut. So, you know, I've always found that the people who aren't positive, you know, a lot of them are either trying to sell you something or they came into the business because they were famous. I talked to one guy who had been like one of the like really early employees at Yahoo and had three New York Times bestsellers before he really ever started speaking. And he's like, yeah, you don't need that. Well, no, not when your phone is ringing off the hook, you don't need it. But I needed it because I didn't know how to make my phone ring. Hmm. And uh, that is a very big distinction also because some, obviously everyone has a different experience, but it is certainly good to hear where you came from. Some people can relate to that. Other people may be the kind of person they already have the best sellers. So, uh, and some people will think I'm nuts and they don't want to listen to me. And that's totally cool because maybe I am. <laughs> Definitely depends on who you ask. Uh, I mean, one of the things that you did tap on earlier, I feel like regardless of whether you go the National Speaker Association route or you go somewhere else, is that idea, Tom said, uh, really meeting the right people. And I feel like this is where a podcast can really come into play because I mentioned Tom has had over 400 people on his show. I mean, you meet a lot of people that way. So I'm wondering if you could share how you're leveraging your podcast to get on more stages. Sure. So I started the podcast. It'll be five years coming up later this year. I'm at about four and a half years, 400 and almost 50 episodes. I think today, tomorrow's episode, I think is 448. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quickly closing in on the 500th episode and I started the podcast because I really believe, and, and I was five years into my speaking career at that point, and I had hit a plateau. And my business hadn't grown, and I, I was trying to get some fresh ideas. And I had really embraced this idea that I was an entrepreneur. I was a solopreneur. I wasn't just a speaker. So I didn't have to only learn from speakers anymore. By five years in, I had learned how to make a speaking business happen, at least to a certain level. I needed some advice from bigger people. So I started the show because I believe success leaves clues. If you can get around people either in person, like I did with a lot of speakers by my involvement with the association or however you get around them and they talk about what they did, whether they want to or not, if they're successful, little breadcrumbs and nuggets and morsels and ideas will fall out of them. And so I decided I wanted to interview successful small business people like solopreneurs who were either speakers or authors or writers or consultants or coaches. I wanted people who were doing a little bit more than I am, who maybe was a little bit more successful. And I just wanted to talk to them about what was their, what was their thought about success? Why did they think some people, you know, reached their potential more than others? And so that's why I started the show was so I could have access to people and it worked. I mean, I, I got out of the slump. I got a lot of good ideas but one of the things I started realizing was I was meeting people through the podcast, either because I interviewed them or because they were listeners or because they were people who had other podcasts. And I started going to podcast association type meetings uh, online and in person. I started meeting people who then recommended me 
to go speak at events. Now, I, when you say get on stages, you know, there's all kinds. If you look at the speaking business, it's like a big pie and there's all types of different slices. The places I speak pay me to be there. I get a, I get a check for being there. Usually they don't want me to sell anything in the back of the room. Um, and so there's all different types of, of, of pieces of the speaker pie. You can't live in all of them. So the one I've picked is what I call sort of the traditional speaker model. And that is associations and corporations pay me to be the opening keynote speaker or the master of ceremonies at their event. And I was at a podcaster event and this guy came up to me and he said, well, how do you make your money? You've got a kid at one of the most expensive colleges in America and you live in a nice neighborhood. And I said, I speak. And he goes, yeah, but what do you sell? What's your, what's mm -hmm. your, uh, what's your offer? And I said, a great speech. I didn't understand what he was saying. And I said, I, I speak and get a check. And he said, well, that model is dead. And I looked at him. I said, oh, for God's sake, please don't tell my clients because it's not. It's just not where he lived. He, he was a coach. And so he spoke in order to sell his coaching, which is a great model. I'm not, I'm not dissing anybody. There's all kinds of ways to make money in this business. But for me, the number one thing was, how do I get exposed to people who are looking to hire a keynote speaker for a conference and or to bring me in to do sales training for their company. Those are the two things that, that, that I do. And one of the ways you do that is you build your business reputation. And that's what my podcast did. Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do five years ago was pretty highly ranked. Now, that was when there was less podcasts. I don't show up in the top 50 business podcasts anymore, but I did for a couple of years. And it brought me a lot of uh, not fame, but it brought me a lot of attention. And that led people who would listen to the show to introduce me. So I talk about in my episodes what I do for a living. And I talk about speaking for companies and I talk about speaking for trade associations. And I've had five or six or eight people over the last few years like call me and say, yeah, you know, we want to talk to you about being, you know, our speaker for XYZ event. And I always ask, how did you hear about me? And they say, one of our employees listens to your podcast or one of our members of the association listens to your podcast. So I've picked up a number of gigs just through people who listen to the show. I've also picked it up because as I expanded my network with other podcasters and other people I've interviewed, they then do the same thing and bring me into their companies. And it is like, you never know who is listening to each of your episodes or who is viewing your content. So I mean, if you put out the valuable content, you're not going to see an immediate return, but I feel like over the long term as uh, more people come across your show and more people, they listen to more of your episodes, you can get those outreach where uh, so-and-so wants you to speak at their events. So it's definitely it's, a long term. It's, it's all about building a brand. And so, you know, the interesting thing is, is now that I have 450 episodes, it's a whole different world because- as you said, there's still not a million podcasts out there. And in fact, I think the latest number I've seen was 660,000 podcasts and maybe as many as 40 or 50% of them are dead or sporadic. So there's really in the big scope of the world and, and not all of those are business podcasts. So it, I mean, you can slice it in a lot of ways, but uh, there's still a lot of competition out there. However, I've put it into my bio that somebody reads when I, when I come to speak at a conference of, you know, 500 people or however many people are in the audience, somebody from that association or that company usually introduces me, whether it's the CEO or the master of ceremonies of the event. And they'll go up and they'll read, you know, that I, I work for law firms and banks and fortune 500 companies. And that I'm an expert in blah, blah, blah. And then I added a line last year, not even a year ago that said, and he's the host of the popular cool things entrepreneurs do podcast. 
now four years and over 400 episodes, and in 2018, named by Inc.com one of the eight podcasts for business people to listen to. And the credibility with audiences, because it's 400 plus episodes, people will come up and say, wow, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Most of the ones I listen to are under 100 episodes or under 50 episodes. How did you get to 400? And so people pay, I don't even talk about podcasting. I don't talk about entrepreneurship per se, but people come up an hour after I'm introduced, after I get off the stage and they want to ask about the podcast. So the podcast has a huge credibility piece that I wasn't expecting. And that is interesting because I know your whole model based on what you said earlier is, you know, get the check, you're not selling off the stage, but if someone actually approaches you and asks for, you know, like, how can I get help from you from a podcast that opens the conversation? Yeah. I mean, there's people who come up and say, do you do coaching? Well, yeah, but I don't really advertise it, but I do it. Um, you know, it's gotta be the right match. So, you know, I, I try not to do very much of it. I, most people, I, I try to pretend it's not a match because I have to like them and they have to like me and, and the world is full of uh, competition of, right. of other people. But but yeah, I mean, if they come up and want, the biggest compliment you can get as a speaker isn't, wow, that was a great speech. So my mentor, a guy I met years ago, met him at the National Speakers Association. He's been a sales trainer for like 35 or 40 years. He's in his 60s. It's all he's ever done. He is brilliant when it comes to being a sales speaker. And he asked me when I first met him 10 years ago, he said, Tom, what do you want somebody to say to you when you come off the stage? And my ego took over. I said, I want them to say that was the best speech I've seen the whole conference or all year or whatever. And he goes, no, you don't. And I said, yes, yes, I do. I have an ego. I want people to think I'm great. And he goes, no, you don't. And I said, well, what do I want? And he goes, here's the thing. There's a lot of people out there who think they are good speakers. They think they're good at it because after they give a speech, people say, oh, great speech, or I liked that speech, or good job, man. And they interpret that as, wow, I am really great on stage. And he said, the truth is they're highly mediocre. He said, think about the conferences you go to. How many speakers are great? And I thought about it, and it's, it's a handful. It's not, you know, very few make me go, wow. A lot of them are good enough. And he goes, right, but we live in a polite society. Nobody is going to come up to you after you give a speech and go, wow, man, you were highly mediocre. I was glad they didn't give you two hours. But, you know, for one hour, I was into it for about 30 minutes. You were, you were fair. Nobody's going to say that in the society we live in. So as I've shared that with other people, every now and then someone goes, no, I'm brutally honest. I would never tell someone great speech unless it was great. So I ask them what they say. They go, I'd pick out that little part. Like, that story about your sister was wonderful. Do you know what the speaker hears? great speech. He said, so there's a lot of people who think they're great, who are just eh. And I said, well, what do I want them to say? And he goes, you want them to say anything that you can interpret back to what else can you do for me? Because if you walk off stage and they say, can I buy your book? How do I download your podcast? Uh, do you do coaching or consulting? Or would that speech work for a group of doctors? If they say anything that you can interpret to what else can you do for me, then it, it didn't suck, because think about this for a second, Mark. If a speaker was, eh, would you ever say, could I buy you coffee? No. So even can I pick your brain translates to what else can you do for me, because you only ask that question of somebody who impresses you. So, you know, that is, is sort of one of the key, the key things is, is that if I come off stage and they heard in my introduction I have a podcast and they walk up with their phone in their hand, and maybe they're a little older and they're like, I've never downloaded a podcast before. How do I find it? 
that's awesome. So I'm not really selling them anything with the podcast. That's free. But if they came up and said, what else can you do for me? Could, could you be my, I want to be a speaker. You know, do you do coaching for speakers? Sure. Then I could talk to them and, and that's offline and no client would care. But I can't talk about that stuff from the stage with my clients. And it is interesting you bring up a different angle because I feel like a lot of people, they want to hear they're a great speaker, but from a business standpoint, you want to hear more of, uh, can I pick your brain? Uh, how do I download your podcast and questions like that, that uh, uh, make that relationship deeper. One of the questions that I do want to ask, I mean, 400 episodes is really incredible for my other podcast, Breakthrough Success, where over 300 episodes at this point i've interviewed a lot of people you have two so that's i know that's that's oh, a big that's a big number too yeah thank you but uh my question for you is since public speaking is the way you make money that means going to different places a lot of travel so how do you do the public speaking still make that money while balancing the episode workload because uh, that definitely takes time as well. But if you've got a public speaking schedule all of a sudden at the time of all of your recordings, you know, so that's my question. So for the first four years of the show, I was doing two interviews a week and I had to get ahead because sometimes I can travel. Like if I'm doing MC work, I'm on site with the client for three or four days. And sometimes I'm downstairs away from my hotel room all day. And I mean, I like it because it's a premium price thing to be the MC. I get paid more than a single keynote. I don't get paid the equivalent of a keynote every day for four days, but I like doing it. It's a lot of fun. I get to be more involved in the show. However, last year I had three of those stacked together and I was away from home for 15 days. Mm. Well, I have a family and I have, you know, a house and a mortgage and, you know, things need to be done around the house. And so the problem is, is that the podcast can easily take a backseat. So part of it is, is I have to be ahead by a couple of weeks at all times. Earlier this year, I switched it to my Tuesday show is usually, not tomorrow, but usually just me talking. So those I can record from my hotel room. But I still, once a week, I'm doing an interview and I have to have those you know, three and four weeks out uh, completed and in the can, or I'm gonna miss a show. And what's interesting is, is, I don't have a giant audience, but when you have a thousand plus people listening, people are creatures of habit. So that's the thing about a podcast is, for generations, we've been trained that whatever TV show you like, oh, you know, Friends is on Thursday night at eight o'clock. So every Thursday, you expect it to be there. Well, my show drops on Tuesday. I have a lot of people who listen to my show as they drive to work on Wednesday. They just expect it. So if I'm late or I miss the date, then people might move on to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is, if you're going to do a podcast to promote whatever you do, it doesn't have to be speaking, but whatever, whatever your industry is, if you're trying to promote yourself as an expert, you have to have consistency, whatever that is, whether it's twice a week, once a week, once a month, you know, once a year, although you won't get much traction, but whatever it is, you have to do it like that. I mean, you know, the, the newspaper world and magazine world still exist. They come out on time. Radio shows are live whenever they're scheduled to go and people are programmed for that. So if you're going to do a podcast, if you want traction for that podcast, which I think you do because that builds your reputation and your brand, which leads to people hiring you, I think. And that is you have to be consistent. And that consistency means that you have to be scheduled and you have to think it through and you have to be committed to it. There's a reason most podcasts die between seven and 12 episodes. They call it pod fade and they fade away into oblivion or they become the occasional podcast. And it's hard to get a listenership when you have an occasional podcast because if it's been a month, people stop going back to look. So that's why I think the consistency really matters. In order to do it, I, I just got to have these in the can. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I can relate to scheduling all of those out in advance. But with the speaking schedule, I mean, in your case, I mean, sometimes as much as 15 days where you're not home or able to record those episodes, it, it creates a different dynamic. You just got to plan ahead as Tom has been able to do for his show. And if someone like him can, you know, come out with 300 episodes and have the speaking schedule that he has, uh, it's definitely possible for you as well. I'm on the road. I do about 40 plus trips a year. So I'm not gone every week, but I, I do about 40 plus trips. So almost every week I'm out for at least one night. And, and usually it's two. It's very rare that I'm gone more than two nights. Uh, most trips I can do in a one to two night you know, type thing, just depending. I, I like to go in early because I don't like any surprises from the airline and I don't like to arrive back in Austin after midnight. So I usually will stay that other night if I, you know, because then I can maybe sleep. Uh, but one or two nights is most trips. So I'm really just scheduling around it. But every now and then I have those, you know, five, seven, 10 day trips. I had a, a six day trip last week where I, I spoke in both Puerto Rico and Tucson. And here's the interesting thing. You can't get from Puerto Rico to Tucson. They're just, they're just in a direct flight. There's not a lot of single connection flights. And so it was like, and, it, and Puerto Rico's way out there in the Atlantic. So it's, uh, it was like 12, 11, nine hours, I think is what it was from the time I left Puerto Rico till the time I landed in Tucson. And I don't get a lot done for anything when I'm traveling. I listen to podcasts. Mm. And it is good that uh, you have something to do while you travel, in Tom's case, listening to podcasts. But you don't just want to be passive and not do something to grow, whether it's grow your business or grow on a uh, personal or professional level. So it's definitely good to have that route. I know one thing that you mentioned before we started recording, you have a new strategy that you, you are using to get on more stages and involve your podcast. I wonder if you could share a little bit of that with us. Well, I think with whatever you do in life, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results. And, and my business, like anybody else's, you know, can have peaks and valleys and it can go flat a little bit. So in order to spark up everything that I do, I'm always looking for how do I try new things. And the one thing I got uh, about this podcast is it has helped me, but it hasn't been strategic, right? I've, built, I've helped build my brand as an expert and a person to go to. And I, you know, I've spoken to some organizations about should you start a podcast because I know a lot about it. However, the other side of it is, is that it, it wasn't spinning off a lot of business. I mean, six or eight gigs is great. I mean, you know, that's, I could, you know, tell you the dollar amount. That's nobody would sneeze at that over a few years. However, I want six or eight gigs a year coming from the podcast. So I made two changes to my podcast this year. One was a suggestion that came from a guy named Justin Shank. And Justin has a podcast called The Growth Now Movement. And it's, it's one of the best entrepreneur growth-oriented podcasts that's out there. But, but Justin isn't a speaker in the sense like, like I am. That's not how he makes his living. But you talk about getting stages. He is getting on all the podcasting stages, on all these podcasting conferences all over the country. And a lot of these like uh, Crush It Now, you know, Become a Billionaire po- uh, conferences. And he's being asked to speak because he has built an entire business around his podcast. He is a podcast producer. He helps people launch podcasts uh, and is doing very well with it. And his show has amazing numbers because it's all about business growth and individual personal growth. He was doing one interview a week for the first two or three years of his show. And he switched it last year to where one a week is him talking. And all of a sudden, he starts showing up on all these stages. Now, again, he's not being paid per se, but they're paying his expenses and he's the expert at the type of conferences he needs to be at. Again, different slice of the pie. 
And I'm like, Justin, you are like crushing it out there. How come you're getting asked to speak at so many of these different places? And he said, when I started doing the show that's me, I was no longer just an interviewer. I was an expert on growth. And so what happened was, is as soon as he started talking about what he's witnessing, what's happening with his company, what's happening to his friends, when he's talking about sales and marketing, whatever topics, people listen to the show and they're like, wow, Justin's an expert on this. And they were inviting him to share on stages. So, and that's a way he picks up consulting clients who want to start podcasts. So this has been a win-win for Justin. So I said, huh, I was doing two interviews a week and I realized people say, wow, you're a good interviewer but that just means I'm Larry King. That doesn't mean I'm the expert on business. So now I'm doing an episode every week where I am talking, what I'm talking about is potential. I'm talking about uh, growth. I'm talking about the things that matter in networking, the th things that matter in the world of what I speak about. And so I'm positioning myself in that way. But the other side is that leaves one interview a week. I am working very hard to interview larger company entrepreneurs now. 400, I, and I don't do it every week. I'm still in the process of seeking these people out. But I, I now get, because my show has had some, like I said, it's not huge, but it's had some notoriety. I get five to 10 inquiries every single day from people or PR people with clients wanting to be on my show. Well, that's 25 to 50 inquiries a week. I'm doing one interview a week now. I mean, it's, it's become ridiculous how many people want to be on my show. And so what I've started saying to PR people and everybody else is, do they have 300 or more employees or 400 or more employees? Because I'm looking for people now. I'm changing it up. I'm now looking for people who have grown their companies into something bigger. And one of the reasons is, is changes up my show, brings a different clientele to come listen. But the other side is, is do you know what people with 400 employees have? Money. Sure. Do you know what else they have? Uh, a lot of people. Meetings. If you've got 400 employees, your company's having at least one, if not more, meetings a year. And so I've already had, I haven't booked one yet, but I've already had two CEOs who I didn't even have to call them and talk to them about it. At the end of the episode, they said, oh, you know, I really like your style. This was a great interview. You're very good at this. What, what, tell me more about what you do. And I explain how I come into companies and I talk about the gap between potential and performance and how I get teams excited. I have a reset button that I can set with some employees who are sort of stuck. And they're like, well, maybe you need to speak at my company meeting. Yes, maybe I do. So I'm actually trying to interview people and build relationships with them that maybe in the next two or three years, I don't expect them to hire me right after being on the show. But if I can build a relationship with them because they liked being on the show, Maybe, you know, in a couple of years, I'm the right match for that. So this is a, another two or three year strategy, but it's, it's all about trying to build relationships with people who have big companies. Yeah, that's a really awesome approach. I mean, especially since you're getting so many requests each week. I mean, I've been getting hit up with a lot more emails uh, about people wanting to be on the show and you can't say yes to all of them. It's just not possible. So you nope. just got to pick the ones that best fit what you're looking for and what your listeners are looking for on your show. Right. And, and you know, so I, I, I think the double strategy, one is by not just being an interviewer, and I give all that credit to Justin. Justin's brilliant. He's amazing. So, yeah. Justin, I hope you listen to the show. I just called you brilliant. <laughs> I expect a dollar. Uh, but, but, the other, but the other strategy of really looking for people who could, and interviewing people who could be my clients, I think that that's something that all podcasters should be doing.
Yeah, I mean, podcasting is such a great business model. And we view it as like a content creation and platform building, but it's also a great business model. So I feel like you should take a lot of the stuff Tom said and really think about it if you have a podcast. It's a great business model, but here's the other thing. Like I have sponsors. I get a little bit of money here and there from my sponsors through what people signing in, but I don't make a lot of money itself from the podcast. But I will tell you, I've been a speaker for 10 years full-time and probably four or five years part-time before that. And one of my topics has always been, how do we connect better with people? How do we network? How do we, in a world where everybody's looking for shortcuts on their phone, thinking that, you know, a like, a link, a share, or a follow is somehow your network. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's a, it's a digital click. How do we get back to that human side? How do we build a relationship with people so that they want to do business with us? Because people want to do business with people they know, they like, and they trust. And just because you have a Facebook connection or a LinkedIn click doesn't mean they know you, like you, or trust you. The podcast over the last four and a half years has been the single best tool I have had for networking, at least to make initial connections with people. And I've been teaching this for 14 years. And yet, I've only had like three people who I've invited to be on the show say no to me. And two of them were famous. One of them, one of them is my dream person to have on the show, but she'll never do it. But. Yeah, I mean, podcasting is really great for that. That's why I'm I started this one because I want to have more podcasts to reach out to more people. I have plans for even another one, like one of them based on my book, The Wealthy Author. I've done, summit, I've done a summit on that, but I'm definitely looking to do more podcasts because it's such a great networking opportunity. Uh, I would like to shift a little more towards public speaking. Granted, podcasting is so great for public speakers. Uh, so I'm wondering if you could share with us some of your habits that have really helped you shine as a public speaker. So one of the things I tell everybody is there's a quote from Stephen King. And Stephen King, somebody came to him and said, oh, Stephen King, I want to be a writer. And he said, well, what do you write? And they go, oh, I don't write yet, but I want to be a writer. He goes, you'll never be a writer. And the woman was like, oh, how horrible. Why would you say that to me, Stephen King? And he goes, writers don't care if they get published. Writers don't sit around and think about writing. Writers write. It's inside of them. It's what they want to do. And I took that to heart years ago, like more than 10 years ago, that speakers speak. It's what they do. So I always have spoken whenever I can. I mean, obviously, I, I, I now charge a, a decent amount of money. But if it's local and it's short term, it's three weeks out. How much you got? I'll do it for $1.95 and a chicken dinner if it's in my town because I want to speak. Because when I do those rotary clubs or other things that are either uh, a waived fee because they don't pay anybody or a discounted fee, I won't give them a date three months, four months out because I could sell that date. But three weeks out, no one else is going to book me. I can try new things. I can't, if they're not paying me my regular fee, I can get up and tell a new story. Mm. I can't do that. If I'm on a big stage, there's, it's not fair to my client for me to try material when I'm speaking. So I have to, you know, I mean, I customize and stuff, but my main, my opening story, my closing story, that stuff is going to be preset and you got to change it up. I can't tell the same story for 30 years. And so I try new things when I do other things. So I say speakers need to speak a lot because that's how you get better. You know, uh, there was a woman named Roxy. Well, she's still named this. Uh, there's a legend in the speaking business named Roxanne Emmerich. And she speaks in the banking industry and she's a huge consultant and trainer in that business. And when I was new to the business, Roxanne said, you're never going to be good until you've given over 300 speeches. And at the time I'd given like 30 and I thought 300, that's so far away. That's horrible. I hate her. How could she say that? I'm good now. Somewhere around the time I hit my 300 speech, I was like, whoa. 
And I kind of attached that to my podcasting too. I didn't get good till several hundred podcasts. Right. I've now done over 800 professional level speeches and I thought, well, I'm pretty good. My ego kind of clicked in. So this last year I started something new because I believe in try new things. It's part of what I teach. A comic friend of mine who his TED talk has been viewed 2 million times. He speaks on humor and humor in the workplace. He's also a stand-up comic. So he's a speaker friend, but he's also a stand-up comic. I was going to be in New York and Drew said to me, why don't you come to open mic night with me? And I literally looked at him and said, oh my God, that would be awesome. I would love to watch you work on new material. And he said, that's not what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to write a five-minute comedy set, stand-up, and get up on stage and open mic night and deliver it at a club here in New York. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm a stage guy. I'm a corporate speaker. No way. And he goes, didn't you tell me you wanted to be like an actor or a comic when you were younger? And I'm like, yeah, but that ship has sailed. And he said, aren't you the guy who teaches try new things? And I was like, damn it. God, I hate it when people throw your own content back at you. <laughs> so last March, uh, 2018, while I was in New York, I met Drew. I showed him what I was going to say. And he said, this is crap. And he helped me rewrite some of it. And I signed up for an open mic night. My name got drawn and I delivered a five minute comedy set in a club in Greenwich Village. Now I will tell you that Steven Spielberg, I'm sorry, uh, not Steven Spielberg certainly is never worried about me. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld is not worried about job security <laughs> because I did five minutes of comedy at a club. I mean, I was not that good. I kind of sucked. However, I realized that I thought I knew the spoken word. 800 speeches, I'm pretty cool. And it turned out, I don't know anything because stand-up comedy is the hardest. I've done improv. I've been in a movie. I've done 400, 500 podcasts. I've been a guest on over 100 podcasts. One would think I would be totally comfortable with standing up and saying anything. And it turned out I was way out of my comfort zone. So far that it, 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 it shook me. And so since last March, I have done 49 open mic nights. Almost every week, either in Austin where I live or when I'm on the road, I just take out Google and I Google comedy open mic night, Tucson, you know, Chicago, wherever I am. And I, I go and I sign up and I deliver it. Some places it's three minutes, some places it's five minutes. Open mic nights are all over the map. Some of them are great. Some of them suck. Some of them have no audience. Sometimes you go on late. So you're there at midnight. There's three people left. Sometimes there's a hundred people there. And I have learned how to deliver. I'm now going to be in a show next week where I'm doing a 10 minute set for the opener. Wow. And I got invited to do it. So I must've reached a level where the guy who puts on the show thought I didn't suck, but here's the trick. It's made me a better speaker. I just spoke for a group that I spoke to last year and they were like, we invited you back because we liked your content. We thought you were really good. Uh, you were better. Could you please tell me why we like we thought you were here? You were already excellent. They go, why was today so engaging? And I said, the only thing I can give it to is that I've been doing comedy for a year. Now I'm not doing comedy when I'm on stage as a as a corporate speaker. They don't want that. I don't want that. I'm not going to make anybody laugh about the muffins in the lobby. However, my timing and my playfulness with the audience has totally changed. I went back and watched a video from a year ago, and and I still had trepidation about what do they think of me? I could see it in my face. I still was trying to prove I was the smartest guy in the room. I've bombed so many times at open mic night in comedy that I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room and I don't care anymore. So I tell everybody, if you want to be a better speaker, what are you doing to challenge yourself to be a better speaker? And so many speakers 
don't speak for free once they start getting paid because they think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, my value is $5,000 or $10,000. I never speak free. Well, the more you speak, the better you're going to get. And where are you pushing yourselves? And for me, I think the biggest push you can do is stand-up comedy. Now, a lot of my friends have said, oh, I'm doing improv. Yep, that's a great thing too. Stand-up part. Oh, that's a very interesting insight, the stand-up comedy for really honing in on your craft. I appreciate that uh, insight and everything you've shared in this episode. Uh, for people who want to learn more about you, I know you have your podcast so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and just some of the other places we can find you as well. Yeah, the podcast lives on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on YouTube, on everywhere there's podcasts. Uh, well, not everywhere. Somebody looked for it somewhere the other day and I was like, oh, I'm not there. Who knew? Uh, but I'm on most of the places and it's just called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. It also lives on my website at tomsinger, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com slash podcast because I'm really creative. Uh, so tomsinger.com slash podcast. And then everything is at tomsinger.com, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com or on all the socials. I'm just Tom Singer. Tom, thank you so much for sharing those resources with us and all the great insights. It was such a pleasure to have you on the Profitable Public Speaking Podcast. <laughs>